Welcome to the Central Peninsula Church Podcast, a podcast all about real life together. Hey, CPC, this is Brandon, and I'm joined here with Kevin Sneed. Are you excited, Kevin? We're going to have a fun conversation. I am excited. (laughs) I am excited. Man, it's kind of warm. Isn't it? It is a little bit. It's a little warm in your office yeah. as well, might I add. I think it's also because the seasons are changing and you can't totally blame my office and my thermostat. <laughs> did you see that little meme um, that's been floating around about the seasons of the Bay Area? I did. It's 12 seasons. So it said there's winter, <laughs> there's full spring, which apparently we, we've, we're beyond, and there's second winter. <laughs> And and then there's the spring of deception. <laughs> it's my favorite, spring. which I think we had last week, right? Yeah, it was like 75, and it got us all thinking we could go outside. So are we in third? Like, the first like Monday and Tuesday this week were freezing. Yeah. So do you think that was the third winter? I would I would think so. We are we are beyond the spring of deception, and in the depths of third winter, <laughs> which means that actual spring is coming. It's, it's coming. One step closer. One step closer. Is that when the groundhog thing happens, or is that a different? That's that already happened, didn't it? Where he sees a shadow, yeah. and there's. I think that happened a week ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. It. I'm just not really into the <laughs> to the groundhog. Yeah, <laughs> one of my worst things. I hate small talk, and maybe the, the small talk I hate the most is the weather. And here we are. Yeah, small talk about the weather. <laughs> if you want, we can small talk. Like from here, when I look at you, yeah, your mic stand is covering only your front teeth. And so it looks like you don't have teeth. Yeah. So we can talk about how does it look? Not great. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good look. That's why I'm talking so much better. No, but with the seasons changing, there's also uh, a church calendar thing happening, right? There is. And uh, we celebrated and, and I don't know if you celebrate Advent, but we walked through Advent together. And that's a big piece of the church calendar. That's the beginning of of the church calendar. It's the new year. Is it? It is. Okay. It is. And that brings us through, you know, Christmas and prepares us for Christmas and, you know, Christ coming. And now we're going into Lent, which is another big season. And mm-hmm. I feel like, um, I don't know, it's kind of cool to get synced up with the church calendar. I haven't really, I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm a pastor's kid. Yeah. But I can't tell you that I've really ever paid attention to the church calendar like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I think we, we lose particularly in the Protestant tradition. Um, and I'm not sure why, I don't know exactly why we lost that, or at least in, in my own, cause I, I'm with you in the sense I grew up in the church. I've been in the church more than I've not been. And like, I never, we never had any intentionality around the calendar, but, but what I've found in the past few years is I've kind of been more engaged with the church calendar is it really is an opportunity for formation um, you know, if you look at it, it, it ebbs and flows from different seasons, starting in Advent, which leads into Christmas, Lent leads into Easter, and then out of Easter, you have Ordinary Time and Pentecost, and it's it's these moments where we actually annually rehearse the story of God. Like, we we remember Christ coming in Advent, um, in Lent leading to Easter, we reflect on His death, and then out of that, we reflect on the movement of the Church and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, and it's little moments that come every year kind of preparing us for um, or, or giving us the chance to be more deeply formed into the story of God. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, it's a gift that we've, we've really, um, in some ways we've missed. And, and I think the lack of intentionality around these seasons 
um, does us a disservice in the way we approach an Easter or a Christmas. Um, we, we tend to rush into it. And I think the church calendar is trying to get us to slow down um, enough to see the gift that these seasons are, these big festivals that we have you know, as, as followers of Jesus. What what is I, I I got stuck on ordinary time. So there's there's a, in the church calendar there's something called ordinary time. <laughs> there is. It's actually the largest season so in it's the a church calendar. Break between yeah, like, especially the bigger things like Advent and Lent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what, what is ordinary? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. But what's <laughs> like the gift I think of ordinary time? Right, is the majority of our life is in fact ordinary. Yeah. Right, and we I think yeah we get pretty addicted to the big. And, um, you know, I think of like growing up in youth group times, those sorts of mountaintop experiences at camp, like those high Mm -hmm. seasons that are really deeply formative. Um, But part of the reason they're formative is because it breaks from the ordinariness of our life. And so there's kind of that, that oscillating between these high moments and these low moments um, or ordinary moments. Like we forget how often Jesus would just spend time walking. Right, like that's a slow time where nothing real exciting is happening, and yet that's probably the bulk of Jesus' life. The bulk of our life is that sort of ordinary time, and mm. so that large swath of time in the church calendar that's just dubbed ordinary time is, in some ways, like the reminder of you know, following Jesus is found in the very ordinariness of our of our day to day, and and so it's kind of it highlights that aspect of our following of Jesus. Um, and I think in some ways tries to break us from our addiction to the big, the yeah. loud, the, you know. Or even the just, the, yeah, I mean, I think about like what boredom is now. Like people are just yeah. terrified of it. You know, my my teenager is like, <laughs> if she's bored, that's like the worst yeah. thing in the in the whole world. So, yeah, the idea of, of that ordinary, I need more of that. I'm a mountaintop kind of guy. So yeah. with this with this church calendar thing, really it's kind of it's kind of a, a way to be intentional, right? It's, it's a way to um, kind of prepare uh, so that we're not surprised by whatever this is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think of those times where particularly around Christmas for me, it like it, Christmas almost sneaks up on us. Right. All of a sudden we're like, Oh my gosh, Christmas is next week. Right. Like it's interesting the way we allow that to sneak up on us. Um, because when you, when you think about Christmas or you think about Easter, again, the two kind of high points of the church calendar, I mean, these are some profound truths that we're talking about, like God becoming man, um, and then later in Easter, like that God dying um, to bring about new life. Like these, the, the depth of those moments is so rich that when we allow it to surprise us, when we just show up and it's like, okay, it's Good Friday, there's no way we can celebrate the richness of Easter by just taking the the realization of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm. Like, you, there has to be a level of preparation done in order uh, to experience the richness of Easter. Like, I, you know, it's when we're recording this, it's the last week of the Olympics. And I think about the years that go into these athletes, like, preparing for, like, you know, like, think of the figure skating. It's like two-minute performance. And yet years to prepare for that. Uh, that changes the dynamic of that performance, right? Because you're preparing for it. And so in some ways, we, we don't tend to approach our spiritual life in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's that intentionality forces us in Lent, in Advent, in these seasons that prepare us for these big moments to slow down so that when we get there, we aren't surprised by the season. We aren't surprised by Christmas or Easter, but rather like in Lent, we spend 40 days 
preparing our souls for the reality of Easter. Um, and that gives like a whole new shape to Easter morning, um, opposed to just waking up Good Friday and like, oh gosh, yeah, it's Easter coming. Um, but rather like that preparation uh, gives us a, a greater depth, a greater opportunity to celebrate what resurrection means to us as followers of Jesus. It makes me think of um, my anniversary in like uh, for Katie and I, we're coming up on 15 years. And so we've been telling each other since our 14th anniversary, like we're going to, we're going to be super intentional about this one. Yeah. Uh, because it's kind of like a joke with a lot of our friends. Sometimes we'll wake up like on the day of our anniversary and sort of be <laughs> like, Oh, it's today. You know? And you know, that limits what you plan. It limits the meaning. Yeah. Like you're like, there's a lot of meaning in us coming together 15 years yeah. ago and I feel like there can be so much intentionality with our anniversary this year. We're planning a trip and, and, um, you know, we're really trying to lean into that. And in, in a way, it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, yeah. we don't want to miss the intentionality. We want to miss the meaning of and just jump straight to Easter. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's that kind of rhythm, right, of an anniversary every single year that creates the structure for you to celebrate each other properly, right? Like think of any relationship that way. Think of like a regular date night, regular times that you set aside for one another, whatever it is. That structure, which again, think of the church calendar. It's a structure that allows us to enter into the story of God, to enter into the various kind of um, moments of celebration. Um, And that anniversary for 15 years, that's a moment that really in some ways represents a lot but it's also not that much different than 14 years, 364 days. Yeah. Right. Like, but yet it's a structure where it forces you to stop and recognize how profound that is. Cause 15 years is, that's a, that's a big accomplishment. Um, and that's, that's what the church calendar tries to do is it just, it, it builds into our rhythm, these moments where we stop and we reflect on, on who God is, how we interact, interject into his story. Um, and that's that's the, the kind of the, the level of intentionality that when we just rush through these seasons, we just miss it, you know, in the same way of waking up on your anniversary and realizing, oh, shoot, today's oh, no. the day. <laughs> yeah, let me, I'll swing back, grab some flowers on the way home. Like, you know, there, there's a level that we miss, a depth that we miss when we function that way. And if Walgreens can be intentional about their candy <laughs> aisle for all of these different things. Certainly we, can, we could too. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> Walgreens man. is our spiritual guide. Valentine's <laughs> Day candy came out like... January 10th. <laughs> exactly. Like they're, they're prepping. They're ready for it. Yeah. They're ready for it. Although yeah. I don't think they have Lent candy. I, they, they do not. Usually it's, <laughs> it's the absence of candy for Lent. <laughs> but Advent they do. Advent they do. They got the little calendar the Advent with calendar. the chocolates. And yeah. The... Yeah. And that, that's what's funny. You know, the difference between Advent and Lent uh, is Advent, right, is, is a, it's, it's built on waiting, but it's built on a, um, an anticipation around joy. Um, and so in Advent, like that's, that's, that's really why you have Advent calendar, or, uh, um, candles, right? It's, it's, we're celebrating light. We're celebrating God breaking in the darkness. Yeah. But Lent is in some ways is the inverse. It's still built on waiting, but it's a waiting more focused on the shadows, not the light. Mm. It's focused on our own frailty. Um, it's focused on, um, our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, um, looking at kind of the themes of death, of humility, of sobriety, of simplicity. Um, and so Lent, in some ways, is built like Advent in waiting, but it's a different type of waiting. 
Um, it's a waiting in the brokenness, not a, um, or reflecting on our brokenness. Whereas Advent is kind of, we need God. Lent is God's here and we're failing and we're broken and we need resurrection. We need life to come. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a similar type of waiting, but maybe a different focus. You told me earlier that, um, that when we were talking about this, that Lent, like kind of the major themes of Lent, uh, you said dust and ashes. Mm. What explain what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always been really the focus of Lent. You know, there's that um, that phrase from dust you came into dust you shall return, and in a traditional kind of Ash Wednesday service, that's what uh, the the pastor, the priest, whoever it is that's leading that service would say as they as they literally mark your forehead with the ashes. And and the idea of dust and ashes is is really twofold. It's that dust represents our mortality. All right, that we are finite beings, that we will in fact all die. Like that's the path that's before us. And so it reminds us of that, that frailty or that finiteness of who we are. And the ashes represents kind of our, our moral culpability, that we are um, sinful humans, that we, that we had a role in putting Jesus on the cross. And, and so it's that, that kind of twofold focus of um, our finite beingness and our sinfulness, and those two things are, are really the center point of Lent, is we, we look those square in the eye, uh, which again, I think is why Lent is so difficult for us, because mm. we're not used to looking at, at that. Um, we avoid thinking about that. Oh I my mean, goodness, yeah. We don't want to think about our, our moral culpability. We don't want to think about death. I mean, and actually, I'm, I'm listening to you talk, and I'm thinking some people might look at this and say, why are you making me focus on this for 40 days. Like, yeah. Why would you say that would yeah. be a good thing, you know, yeah. for us to focus on that? Yeah. Gosh, that's a good question. Um, and I think it's in some ways you can't, again, to experience resurrection, which is where Easter takes us, we can't do that without death, right? You can't be resurrected from life. You're resurrected out of death. And so that's really the the story arc of, of Jesus, right? Is that he comes and through life, he experiences death and through that death comes resurrection. And when we, um, cause I agree with you, we don't like to think about these things. I mean, in many ways, particularly our, our area in the Silicon Valley, we're focused on transcending death. Like everything in our world is about how do we transcend um, our limitations, Right? Think about yeah. the way that even like a phone extends our capability beyond maybe what we have to our own ability. Like it gives us access to the world, to the universe in our pocket. And that might be more than we're supposed to bear. You know, that really was in Genesis 3, that was the sin of Adam and Eve, was that they couldn't live within the limitations that God had given them. Mm. And so but but it's in that when they when they try to extend when they try to um, transcend those limitations that's where death comes from that's where they get beyond you know get over their skis if you will and in some way that's what Lent is trying to get us to do it's to remember that we are finite and somehow somehow in that limitation when we live in our limitations we actually find life right we find ourselves maybe you know kind of sinking back in with the way God's created the world and and so in that I think. You really, like, traditionally, it's been about giving up something. Um, and I think that's a great way to go about it. I don't think that's the only way you can go about Lent. Um, in some ways, Lent just provides you the opportunity to take up any sort of practice um, that, that attunes your heart more towards Christ. Mm. And so that could be 
the um, withholding of, you know, like a lot of people give up sugar and sweets for 40 days. And and that's great. I think that's a great... There's dual benefits to that, right? I mean... <laughs> it's dual benefits. Not only am I going to give something up for Jesus, I'm also going to lose a little... Shed a few weight. LBs. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe honestly, not the spirit of it, though, but... <laughs> honestly, I think that's why Lent is has been confusing for me over the years is because... Mm. Every every time I've ever been exposed to it, it, it's usually, you know, my Catholic friends, that kind of thing. And especially growing up, like, they didn't really know why they yeah. were giving things up, yeah. you know. Um, it was, there were some, like, health benefits and that kind of thing. But, yeah. like, it's like, that's weird. Like, why yeah. do we, why do we have, the, giving anything up for 40 days sounds miserable. Why would yeah. we do that? And then leaning, but, but the idea of leaning into, like, I know this is something that's going to, in the difficulty, it's going to shape me, and just like you know, yeah. fasting would. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And that—that's the idea, right? Is that we we take something, we take a set season, we set aside something, or we set up a practice where that then allows us to become more keenly aware um, of what God is doing in our life. And so, if it's withholding sweets, the idea isn't just to not eat sugar or mm. to not you know to lose a few pounds, um, but rather it's to say, I'm going to withhold this from me. So that when I feel that urge, that temptation, I can, um, I can then insert a you know kind of a communion with God in that space, um, and that's that's really the invitation of, of particularly fasting, right? Is that we use a bodily urge, um, usually hunger, and in that we then take that moment when we feel that um, to actually like feast right on the presence of God, um, and so we allow that that fasting to result in a sort of feasting on God. Um, and so we just reshape the desire so that when we feel that, we aim it towards the things of God. Um, and this is really, again, like pra- any any practice, any spiritual practice or spiritual discipline is simply to sharpen our spiritual awareness. Um, the goal is not, you know, in Lent or whatever, the goal is not to just check off a box of spiritual discipline. Um, it's a means to an end. That, that's all that spiritual disciplines are. And, you know, we can tend to get nervous around like legalism, particularly around Lent, where, you know, maybe you get into a comparison game and you're stuck in this, like, look how righteous I am and mm. I'm giving up this or I'm giving up that. Yeah. And, and to do that, you really miss the point because the goal isn't the discipline. The goal is greater communion with God. Um, and so in some ways, like, even if that's if that's you and your propensities towards that, maybe for Lent, you give up Lent. <laughs> like, oh. that could even be something that you take on because you recognize God's calling you to give up that game of comparison of, of, you know, whatever the check off the tally bark of perfection or whatever. Isn't there a verse? Um, I know there is, I just don't remember where it is, but maybe you being the educated man you are, uh, where, where is it Paul that talks about fasting or like, don't fast in a way like where people, everyone sees it. Yeah. I think that's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I think it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 When you fast, you know, don't, don't make it obvious. Yeah. Like if you're giving up airheads, don't walk around (laughs) being really sad. I love airheads by the way. Like being really sad, like, Oh, I wish I could have an airhead and wait for someone to ask you, Hey, why are you giving up airheads? Oh, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I don't think I've had an airhead by the way, since whenever my last little league game ended and I went to the snack bar afterwards. I'm going to bring one. If I bring one for you, will you eat it? I I don't think I should. What if it's just a little, just <laughs> a, a little, little sliver? I think maybe I should give up here. We've been on this like no sugar kick, <laughs> Lindsay and I, and I feel like an airhead is just purely sugar. Yeah, like, it would shock my system to have There's an airhead. Reverse nutritional value in an airhead. <laughs> reverse nutritional value. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't even know what that is. Um. So really, what you're talking about here 
and and where we're leaning and you know our mission is to make a mature disciples of Christ but that means you know like we're maturing together as a as a church body mm-hmm. we're becoming disciples we're trying to figure out how to join Jesus how to follow Jesus um be more like him so really this is one big way that we can kind of join that journey right yeah 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 again that idea of the church calendar rehearsing the story of God and so in this um, you know, we are entering the story of Jesus. And like, just a quick, like, I think there's, um, I, I took this from a, an author, Bobby Gross, who has a great book, Living the Christian Year. And in, in the section on Lent, um, he talks about there's kind of three places that we join the story of Christ in Lent. Um, it's the desert, the road, and the garden. And what he talks about in the desert is this is maybe the uh, where we draw the idea of a 40-day season of fasting or withdrawal. Yeah. Um, so if you remember that scene, right, Jesus is taken out into the wilderness, um, and this is in preparation for his ministry starting. And while he's mm-hmm. out in the wilderness, he has this sort of intense focus or meditation on God's calling in his life. Um, and then you see this interaction, right, with the devil. The tempter comes. Yeah. And it's trying to lure him from this. There's really kind of three things you see in the desert that that um, that the devil tempts Jesus with: physical comfort, public acclaim, and political power. And each of those are, are kind of the devil trying to draw Jesus away from his mission. And yet, it's in the desert where where Jesus wrestles those things down, so he can be more keenly aware of God's calling on his life. Mm. Right and, and the mission that's before him. And so the, the desert for Jesus becomes this sort of 40-day experience where he is trying to just kind of drain the, uh, the ambition, the unholy ambition from his life so that he can say yes to God, yes to the Father, and no to those other things that want to deter him. Yes to self-fulfillment, or I'm sorry, no to self-fulfillment, Yes to sacrifice, no to doubt, yes to faith. Like it's a sort of winnowing season, um, and that becomes the desert. And so in Lent, we mirror that in some ways. It's how do we say no to some things so we can say yes to Jesus, right? And then out of that, you see Jesus then get on this sort of um, this road to Jerusalem, right? So the second kind of step that we join with Christ is when he leaves the desert, he begins to walk the road set before him. Uh, by God. And so, and on that road, right, you see him do all sorts of things. You see him in his ministry. You see him healing people. You see him preaching the gospel. You see Mm. him walking with the disciples. This is a little bit of that ordinariness, um, but it's a chance, again, where we join with Jesus on that road, and we just simply say, for 40 days, God, what would you have me do? What would you invite me into uh, in this season as we move towards Easter? And then the kind of the third section that we join Christ in this story is the garden. And this is, um, in, in my opinion, maybe the most intense scene, uh, maybe in the whole scriptures mm. uh, that we see, but it's Jesus. To take right? this cup from me. And- yeah, like hours before his crucifixion, he's sitting there in the garden before the Father, and he's, um, in some ways, he's agonizing. He's, mm. um, I, you know, you could almost say he's undergoing a pretty deep anxiety of like, God, I know what's before me. And I know I need to walk this, but if you could take this cup, would you do so? And I don't like, there's something fascinating about that story that, that I, a few years ago, um, I heard someone talk about it and it reminded me that, you know, at any moment God could have answered that prayer with a yes, like, and taken the cup from Jesus. Mm. And we'd have never known, right? Like it wouldn't be in our gospels. It wouldn't have been there. And there could have been some other route, but yet there was something about the suffering that Jesus had to endure, Mm. um, that God said, that is the way. 
And Lent, I think, is the the moment that when we intentionally try to find a way of self-denial, we join with Christ in his own self-denial in that moment. Not my will, but yours be done. And in Lent, we, we ask that same prayer. God, not my will, but yours be done. And often that comes um, through denial, um, not through high points, but low points, mm. um, not through victory, but through a lowering, um, sometimes through suffering, not always, but sometimes. And in that way, we, we enter into that same sort of um, kind of, I don't know, that posture of Jesus in the garden. Um, you know, I think of Mark 8. You know, it's it's kind of the high point of what it means to follow Jesus. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Um, that's the invitation of Lent. It's a small way every year where we just say, I'm going to deny myself of something in order to follow Jesus more intimately and more closely. You know, it's fascinating about those three things, um, you know, starting with the fact that Jesus was tempted and then ending with this whole idea, the garden and the suffering that he had and the stress. And like in in many ways, like I feel like, our, you know, our commercialization of Jesus, you know, in the Berean Christian bookstore. I don't know if those are still around anymore, <laughs> yeah. but not in the Bay Area. And it can be a challenge for us to sort of grasp this humanity, the human side of Jesus. Mm. But thinking about him in the desert, thinking about, you know, you talking about him overcoming his Ambition, is that how you said it? Yeah, unholy um, ambition. His unholy yeah. ambition, the fact that Jesus was tempted, you know? Yeah. The fact that Jesus was hungry and like he had to overcome and he had to, it was just, and when they want to think about the suffering at the in the garden, him just asking, like any yeah. one of us would ask, like, God, is there is there another way? Mm. I know what's about to happen. And I feel like there's there is something in Lent that is really valuable in, like you said, sort of in, in some minute way sharing in his suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It's all very human, isn't it? Like Jesus in the garden saying, is there any other way? And I think we're so comfortable with Jesus as the son of God. Um, and yet we, as you mentioned, we're, we're, we're a little more uncomfortable with the humanity of Jesus. Um, like even that Jesus would ask that question feels, um, almost wrong. Right. And, and I think that's why in times, um, of pain, we have a hard time asking those questions. God, is there any other way? Um, but I think that's the beauty of something like Lent is Jesus has asked those questions. Um, and so when we then tune into that aspect of the story, um, we connect with Jesus in a way that maybe we're not used to. Um, but the fact is again, that Jesus had those very same human questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, yeah, there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to that. Um, humanity of Jesus. So we're actually going to go through this season together as a church family. And we have a couple of things that we're going to do together before we, before we talk about that, what we're going to do together. There's also like, we're talking about some things that we're going to do on our own. And so Kevin, as we're, as we're looking at how to be more intentional with this season, um, what are some things that can maybe help align us, uh, yeah. move us into more intentionality with that? Yeah. yeah, I love that word intentionality. That's really the baseline. It's just, we, we want to invite you guys to be more intentional in the season of Lent. And a couple ways where we, we think we could do that is um, we just invite you to take up, maybe it's a new sort of spiritual practice, um, which could be as simple as just saying, I'm going to start every morning 
um, in the scriptures. Maybe that's not in your normal rhythm, and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna set aside 15 minutes to do that. Maybe it's in the afternoon. You're gonna give up, you know, um, scrolling through social media at lunch and say, I'm gonna go walk outside and just think and consider my my walk with the Lord and what's going there. Um, so it could be anything. It could be fasting. It could be um, a practice of prayer. It could be um, you know any number of things. But the idea is that you take up a practice, um, which again is not the goal. It's a means to an end um, to just become more aware of God's presence. And so you know, I heard um, a guy named Trevor Hudson who we've got. Uh, one of the things you can do individually is we, we're going to provide or have available some books that we used actually for our Common Prayer series last year in Lent. Um, called Pauses for Lent. And in that, it's just a really short meditation and an invitation to a particular practice for that day. Uh, but in in those, I, I heard him uh, once talk about kind of questions that he asks around Lent to say, um, to kind of just figure out, is this practice beneficial or something I, I should do towards Lent? And he just asked these three questions about whatever particular practice you're considering for Lent. Um, he says, the first question is just, is this practice going to bring me to a place of deeper preparedness for the mystery of Easter? Mm. Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, is giving up sweets going to prepare me for the mystery of Easter? Maybe. Yeah, or um, if it was like, I'm going to kiss my wife every day before I leave for work. Like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> not know? a bad thing. But is that is that on... It may not be preparing you for yeah. the mystery of Easter, yeah, right? That's good. Yeah, so I think it's a simple question to just a filter to run through whatever you're considering. Uh, the next question he asks is: Is this going to bring a helpful intensity to my relationship with Christ? Um, is this something that I can use to leverage uh, for my relationship with Christ? Again, thinking of that preparation, that intensity of focus for a short time on your relationship with Christ. Um, and then the third one is: Will it deepen the quality of my relationship with other people? Um, there's a sense that this is a communal thing, right? I think of Jesus' greatest, you know, when asked what the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that those two things are interrelated. Um, and so in this, it's a, a question of, is whatever the practice I'm doing going to help deepen my gratitude, uh, my love for those around me as well? Um, because that's the, that's the outpouring of a disciple of Jesus, is a, is a life of love. Um, for those around you. So those are three questions I think you can ask in whatever practice you're considering um, in that. And maybe the last bit of advice I'd give too is is start small. Don't try to, you know, radically transform your whole life in these 40 days. Um, Start with where you're at and and what is a a natural next step. Um, All of this is invitation. None of it is requirement. Um, But yet I think if we ignore the invitation to just set aside a season to grow in our intimacy with Christ, we may just be doing ourselves a disservice, but it's invitation. Um, if it doesn't work, you know, if it hinders you from loving Jesus, then get rid of it. There's no reason to hold on to it, but um, understand it as an invitation um, to more. And Kevin, you've talked a lot about these um, practices, um, sort of uh, creating habits with mm. these with these practices and how we can utilize kind of how our brains are wired um, to lean into forming ourselves around being more like Jesus. In fact, as a staff, we're sort of test driving this and we're doing currently doing a habit audit Mm -hmm. where we just look at our habits right now and, and what are the things that are consistently forming us? And um, I actually read this book. Have you, have you read the power of habit? I haven't yet. I've heard it though. Yeah. I've heard it's good. It's it's not a spiritual book, but it just talks about the the neuroscience mm-hmm. and what they've learned about how we develop habit and how 
when you do something consistently over a period of time and you keep the same cue, so it could be at eight o'clock I do this or every day when I feel this or whatever, you keep that going, you actually write neuropathways. Yeah. And it takes somewhere between, you know, 25 to, to 40 days to create a neuropathway. And I just think about, I think about the practicality of that and some of the rhythm of this 40 day with Lent. And I know maybe developing a habit for the rest of your life isn't like maybe the number one priority. But if you think about what we're doing, we're trying to start a practice where we intentionally become more like Jesus. Yeah. And what a great way to kind of start, even if it is a smaller thing to start that developing, let's actually like rewire our brain to crave following Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. In some way that like that habit can become the thing that shapes your desire so that your natural, you know, your natural disposition is towards the things of God. Right. And, and, uh, those habits that shape us, I mean, again, in some ways, uh, we really are the collection, you know, we're, we're the culmination of a thousand different decisions we make. Um, like that's, that's who we are becoming is in those small, tiny little decisions. And as you said, like that's even how God has wired our brains. Uh, you know, Lindsay, who's done far more work around like neuroscience and um, around psychology and all of how our, how we just operate. Um, she often reminds me that like, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. And what mm-hmm. she means by that is like the things you do, you will want to do more of. Um, the more regularly you do them, the more you'll want to do them, yeah. which is really good news in the sense of like following Jesus, that we can actually train ourselves and that the Holy Spirit operates at that level to train us to desire God more. Uh, but it can also be frightening if those habits are shaped in the wrong direction and they can actually then malform us. Which is why I love airheads. <laughs> which is why you love airheads. To bring, in, to bring things all around. Yeah, full, you know, full circle, circle. Yeah. full circle. <laughs> but I wonder if Lent <laughs> is the chance for us to break some of those habits where we have trained our brains to think more about our own gratification than this way of self-denial. And Lent, which interrupts us every year, it comes in every year, whether we want it to be here or not, gives us the chance to say, what are the things that are shaping me and forming me? And in that moment, you could simply say, for 40 days, I'm going to try to stop this thing and insert more intimacy with Jesus. And so it gives us the chance to rewrite um, some of those pathways in our head that are shaping us. And Lent, because of its regularity, gives us that opportunity to, to, to just cease and then transform us you know, towards more towards Christ-likeness. So as a church family, we're going to be doing this together also. As Kevin mentioned, there's going to be um, some reading material that we're going to go through together on Lent, and you can find that at our website, cpc.org. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes too. We'll also put those questions that... Kevin just mentioned, um, as you kind of look at how you're going to participate in Lent, you can kind of run it through the metric of those questions. So we'll put those in the notes. Do we have show notes? I've never looked. <laughs> I don't I'm know assuming, if we do. I'm assuming we have show notes. If not, I'm going to edit this part we'll out. Also, but... We'll link to a 12-pack of airheads for you there, yeah. too. <laughs> oh, man. Just for Brandon. Get thee behind me. Uh, isn't that from that passage? Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Right. Totally. Um, yeah. And then uh, lastly, we're actually going to do something um, that I think CPC has actually done before. Yeah. We're going to put a little bit new of a spin on it, but um, we're going to do a guided uh, tour uh, of the Stations of the Cross this year. So you'll hear more about that as we unfold it. Um, That'll be during Holy Week, during Easter Week, all throughout that. You'll have the chance to engage with that. So we'll start that Monday. I think so. 
Maybe maybe the Sunday before. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, you'll hear more about that, but you're going to have opportunities to participate that uh, with the church too as we go through this together and and seek this intentionality together. And I think with that, Kevin, any last words? No. It's going to be right. good. I'm excited. Excited for Lent. They're going to think that Airheads is like an official sponsor of this episode <laughs> or something. You know? How did they get Airheads anyway? <laughs> We're big time now. Such seamless advertisements. <laughs> so seamless. <laughs>